We have a dog at home, and his name is Lance. And I say we, um, it's actually our son's dog. Um, his name is Zach, but almost called our son Lance there. But uh, anyway, I, I do that at home too, by the way. But um, I said we have a dog at home, and it's actually our son Zach's dog. But if you know anything at all about a golden retriever, you know that they pretty quickly become everybody's dog in the family. Um, I've showed you a picture of him before, but I want to show you him again in case you haven't seen him. We decided to make it a little more festive this time, okay? Um, put you in the Christmas spirit. He, wanted, he told us to let you, you know, be in the Christmas spirit, so we went ahead and did that for you. But he fits the stereotype of every golden retriever. Anything you've heard about a golden retriever, it's true. He's kind. He's gentle. He's loving. He gets overexcited at times. If you even make eye contact, like if you're sitting in the living room and you even make eye contact with him, he's there. He wants to be petted. He wants to, you to play with him, that, that sort of thing. He is annoyingly friendly to people when they come over. Yeah. He, he rarely barks, um, but when he does, he actually has this rather deep, gruff-sounding bark. I mean, it could scare someone off. Like, if you came over to our house and he did bark and you hadn't seen him, it would probably at first startle you until you saw him, <laughs> and then you'd realize that his bark is much worse than his bite. And he's easily frightened, too. True story, this summer, um, a hot air balloon flew over our house, very low, so low, in fact, that it was landing across the street in our neighbor's front yard. We happened to be outside when this was going on, and Lance, the dog, was outside with us, too. And when this hot air balloon flew over, it, like I said, it was pretty low. He looked up at it, he barked, and then he ran as quickly as he could to the backyard to get away from it. So, like I said, easily frightened. We, we had a road crew working out in front of our house one day, and he went to the front window, and he looked out, and he saw him. And he actually barked, which completely surprised us, because he doesn't bark that often. We, we were so proud of him for doing that, because we actually like him to be a bit of a dark you know, guard dog or watchdog to alert us if there are strangers around, that sort of thing. Um, we were so proud of him, and we praised him over and over again. He was so happy that we praised him, but I don't think he had a clue why he, why he was being praised, because he hasn't really barked that much, you know, since then. But here's what's frustrating. This is a 75-pound dog. This dog is just slightly under the average weight of a wolf, and it's slightly more the average weight than a coyote. This dog could kick butt if he knew it, but he doesn't. I mean, the vet says he's strong, he's lean, he's muscular. He has all that going for him, and yet he doesn't realize. And like I said, we like him to be a little bit of a watchdog, maybe to alert us or to scare off a, you know intruder, that sort of thing. But he just doesn't seem to know that he has it in him. You know what would be great? Is if one of us in the family, like for 48 hours or something like that, could become a dog. And we could show Lance how to be a little tougher, you know? We could say, could talk to him, say, hey Lance, look, you've got it in you, dude. You don't know this, but you're a strong dog. You could do some damage, and we're not looking for him to do damage, but you know, you could at least scare some people, be a little bit intimidating at times, that would be nice. 
He doesn't know that. First, Lance would need to know that he has what it takes, you know. Lance, show some teeth, you know, growl. Use that deep, gruff bark that you have. If only we could become a dog and let him know. Well, God, in his infinite love and mercy, wanted to show us his nature. And he started doing this from the beginning of time. If you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the first half of our Bible. And if you read that, you see that he tried over and over again to show us who he was, what he was like. Even in the Garden of Eden when he created Adam and Eve, he showed them his nature. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets would talk about what God was like. He even had a special relationship with the nation of Israel to show people through that nation what he was like. But, you know, you read in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel just continually turned their back on him. So God did the unimaginable. He became one of us because he wanted to show us what he was like, and he also wanted to save us from our sins. Now, we know about that. I mean, this is what the Christmas message is all about, that God became one of us. Jesus came into our world. We celebrate that at Christmas time, right? However, the prophets in the Old Testament were talking about this, that it was going to happen in the future thousands of years ago. And they would say things like, God is going to be with us. And People didn't know how that was going to happen. So think of the intrigue. Think of the anticipation if you heard a prophet say something like that. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was on earth, here's what one of the prophets, his name was Isaiah, here, here's something he said. He said, the Lord himself will give you the sign, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And can you imagine 700 years before Jesus coming to earth, hearing the prophet Isaiah saying something like that, the statements that he made that we just read. Think of the questions that would raise in your mind, like, when is this going to happen? Is this going to happen in my lifetime? Is it going to happen in my kid's lifetime? Is it going to happen in my grandkid's lifetime? What is this going to be like? It would just raise so many questions in your mind. So, we begin a series today that's called At Last. What we're going to do through the month of December in this Christmas series, we're going to look, going back to the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, at some of these statements and messages that these prophets gave about the coming of Jesus. And I think you'll find it really fascinating. Um, this one, as I said, actually was given 700 years before Jesus came. Now, we talk about prophets. Basically, what they were doing, they were just giving messages or making predictions sometimes about Jesus and other things as well. But the predictions they made specifically about Jesus coming to earth and those in the future about Jesus, we call those messianic prophecies because of the word Messiah, meaning Jesus was going to be the Messiah. So they're called messianic prophecies. So we're going to look at one of those today. Now, what's interesting is you're, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you can read it like in a couple of the books of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, for example. Matthew wrote his book. He penned it to a Jewish audience. So Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. 
And because they were Jewish, they understood the Old Testament. They understood the Old Testament Scriptures. They knew them backwards and forwards. So he quoted the Old Testament over and over again so he could connect Jesus' coming to what the prophets had said. Let me read you, what, for example, what Matthew said. This is right in the Christmas story. Matthew 1, verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. He's talking about Isaiah. We just read that in Isaiah 7:14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, can you imagine hearing that statement in Matthew's time, right when Jesus was born? I mean, for others, I'm sure they didn't get it. But for those who were longing for the Savior, for the Messiah to come, Perhaps they were thinking, at last, you know, 700 years later. Now, that first statement that we read from Isaiah that Matthew quotes again, that would raise some eyebrows, wouldn't it? The virgin will conceive a child. That's impossible. And that's the point. This was not an ordinary conception. This was supernatural and it served as a sign there was going to be something extraordinary about this child but Jesus was born of a virgin for another reason as well the Bible tells us that we're all sinners every single human being is a sinner we're all sinners because we choose to sin we're actually all sinners because we were born sinners you know how that happened we all have a human father And our sin nature is passed down from one generation to the next. In other words, it's in our DNA, so to speak. And I think we know how that whole DNA thing works. You know, have you ever seen a father and a son together, and maybe you didn't even know them up to that point, but you looked at them, and the minute you looked at them, you said, that's got to be father and son. You know, they resemble each other so much. Um, Let me give you just an example of this. I'll show you a few celebrities, father and son lookalikes, and some of these are pretty remarkable. Check this out. Here's the first one. There's Jack Nicholson and his son. Pretty clear resemblance sitting there. Go on to the next one. There's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and look at his son. Kind of scary when you look at some of these resemblances. And there is Tom Hanks and his son. And then finally, here is... um, Ice Cube, who's rapper now, an actor, and his son. Yeah, you can tell those guys are fathers and sons, can't you? The DNA is passed on. (laughs) Sometimes the good, sometimes the bad, sometimes the ugly, you know. It's just passed on. And by the way, if you're a parent, perhaps you've experienced this where you'll watch your child do something or react in the wrong way. And then you realize, oh, that's just like I did, you know? And it can frustrate you. Jesus, though, was conceived by God's Spirit. So when he became human, sometimes we say when he became God in the flesh, um, he became one of us. He was born in a way that he would not have a sin nature. And that way was to be born of a virgin. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And since he was not a sinner, he could become our perfect sacrifice for our sin. That's why the virgin birth is so important. Not just because it would be a special kind of birth. And, you know, it wasn't just so it would be like a superhero sort of thing. But so that he could become our substitute, our sacrifice. 
God becoming human, God becoming flesh, God becoming one of us so that he could die for us. It's kind of mind-blowing if you really think about it. But the second statement of that prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 says that he will be called Emmanuel. Now, we're familiar with that word because we hear it at Christmas time at least, right? It's just a Hebrew word that we transliterate into English, and it means God is with us. Now, what's the significance of that? Try digesting that one if you heard the prophet say this 700 years before it happened. So, the Old Testament tells a story of a special relationship that God had with Israel. Part of that included the fact that God was with them. That was their special relationship with God. God was with them. But it was different than what we know about. Let me explain. God's presence was with them, but it was only in the temple. They had a temple, and inside that temple, there was one room right in the center of that temple called the Most Holy Place. It was the inner room, and not everybody had access to that room. In fact, only one person had access to that room. It was the high priest, and only then he could enter that room just once a year. He did that to offer sacrifices for the people for their sins in the presence of God, but the high priest could only enter that room after he went through all these ritualistic sacrifices. Anybody who tried to enter that most holy place who wasn't the high priest after having gone through all he was supposed to go to would die immediately because it was the holy place, the presence of God. Jewish tradition actually says that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle before he entered. So just in case he died while he was in there, they could pull him out because nobody was about to go in there. That place was holy. So people really didn't have access to God individually in the nation of Israel or even in the Old Testament. They didn't feel that close presence of God. But now, through a miraculous birth, God is with us. What does that mean? Well, of course, we know what that means, and this is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world, and he was literally with us. He walked around, he talked to people, he ate with people, he healed people, he laughed, he cried. He became one of us. So what is the significance that God is with us? It changes everything. Let me explain. Christmas can be a magnifier. Would you agree? It magnifies good, so it magnifies joy this time of year. But it can also magnify pain. You know, for some it's the greatest season of the year. For others, if you're hurting, you just wish it was over with. And some of you may be there right now, today. You've experienced significant loss in your life. Maybe because someone you love isn't going to be there this year. There's going to be an empty chair. It could be through the pain of divorce. Perhaps it's because of relational conflict in your family. And you just know it's going to make things messy this year. It could be that you've got something going on that other people don't even know about, but it's very real to you. Or maybe your entire family's not going to be together 
this Christmas. Your kids are spread out all over the country. Perhaps this is the first year they're not all going to be there, and it just leaves you with an empty spot in your heart. The house is going to be quiet. Or you or someone real close to you has a significant health problem this year, maybe even cancer. And that's just going to change everything about how you feel about the holidays this year. So here's why what this prophet said 700 years before Jesus came, 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said, here's why what he said matters. And here's why it matters to you this Christmas. Here's the first reason. Because God is with me, he can comfort me. When your relationship with Jesus becomes very real to you, then you realize that he is always with you. During the seasons of life when our hurts are magnified like Christmas, it can provide incredible comfort. Just like the presence of someone can make all the difference in the world in your life. You know, think about that. Sometimes just someone's presence can make all the difference. When our daughter was a little girl, maybe two years old, something like that. And by the way, she was an adorable little girl. Let me just go ahead and show you a picture. Oh, there she is, yeah. I know I'm a partial dad, but she was adorable. Um, if there was a storm at night and she was in her bed, you know, and there was thunder and lightning, and she would hear it, it would scare her. So inevitably, you know, the thunder would wake us up, and it wouldn't be very long at all before we would hear this little voice from her bedroom, Daddy, Mommy. And so we had this pretty common routine. One of us would get up, we would go get Melanie, we would bring her into our bedroom, and sometimes my wife would just call to her and say, Melanie, come into our bedroom. And I would look up, and this two-year-old little girl would walk into our room. She usually had this sheepish little smile on her face, and she would crawl in bed between us, and that was it. She was happy. I remember one night, though, when the storm was intense and lightning was flashing, and the thunder was so loud, it literally felt like it was rattling the house. Perhaps you've experienced that. And Melanie had just crawled in bed with us, and all I wanted to do was go back to sleep. So I rolled over so that my back was facing her. Right after that, there was this ear-splitting clap of thunder, and then it went deadly quiet, and I heard this little voice say to me, Daddy, look at me. <laughs> so, so I turned and looked at her, but I realized she didn't really want anything more. She literally just wanted me to look at her. That's all she needed. And she fell asleep peacefully after that. She just wanted to know I was there. God is with you. Not only when Jesus came to earth and lived on this earth, but Jesus promised to his followers when he was on earth was that after he left this earth, he would still be with us in the person of God's Spirit that we call the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus promised, John 14, verse 16. Like I said, these are Jesus' words. He said this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him or doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. That's Emmanuel, God with us. So here's what you can do. When you're feeling sad 
or lonely or discouraged because of your circumstances, especially during the holiday season. Talk to him. Pray to him. Tell him what you're feeling. Read the Bible and be comforted by the promises of God that we find in the Bible. That'll help you feel his presence. He's there, and it makes all the difference in the world to know that. People in the Bible did that kind of thing all the time. Let me give you one example. This is one of the Psalms. It was written by someone who was hurting. Psalm 142, it says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are really all I want in life. God is with us. That comforts us. Next, because God is with me, I can find security. Have you ever been with someone that made you feel more secure because of who they were? Just their presence made you feel that way? Um, when I was in college, we had a couple guys on the basketball team who were great basketball players. Now, this was a small college. But both ended up being NAIA All-Americans. And Brett was one of the better shooters I've ever seen. There wasn't a shot he didn't like or a shot he wouldn't take. And if it was between 20 or 30 feet, he would shoot it, and he hit him consistently. His confidence level was through the roof. He thought he was better than you, then he would go out and prove it. Ron was a naturally gifted athlete. He had almost a 40-inch vertical jump. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, just put it this way. He could jump through the roof. Um, so obviously he could dunk a basketball about any way he wanted to. And like Brett, Ron was confident in his abilities with a basketball as well. When I graduated from college, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Ron also went to Dallas Seminary, and Brett moved to Dallas too because he was going to get his MBA at North Texas State. So we hung out some together because we knew each other. We'd gone together in college. I love to play basketball, but let's be clear, I wasn't close to Ron or Brett in ability. They were much better than me. So, but occasionally, when we were living there in Dallas, we would play basketball together. What they enjoyed doing was going to the parks where guys would play pickup games of basketball. They were some, there were some pretty good basketball players there. These were guys who went to work and then just played basketball the rest of the time. So when the three of us would show up, the guys at the park had no idea who my friends were. And it was kind of fun for me. Just watching the looks on these guys' faces as Ron would go up and dunk it, maybe do a 180 slam, or Brett would hit like three 30-foot shots right in a row. I was just along for the ride, but it was fun to watch. And I never in a million years would have considered going to these parks by myself. I would have been so out of my league. But when Ron and Brett were by my side, I might have even strutted a little bit, you know, when I showed up. Maybe I even trash-talked a time or two. Okay, honestly, I don't think I ever trash talk but in that situation. But I thought some trash talk, okay? That counts a little bit anyway. Um, but who you're with makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? It's everything. So listen to this. This is Romans chapter 8. 
starting in verse 31, it says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? And then verse 38 says, and I am, conf- I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God is for you and with you if you've invited Jesus to be part of your life. Emmanuel. You have nothing to fear in this life. You have nothing to cause you to shrink back. Nothing can separate you from his love. And if you're not sure of that, just go back and read Romans 8, 38, and 39 over and over again until it's clear to you. Is it enough? Is it enough to know that God is for me and with me? Yes, it is. It changes everything. There have been many occasions when we've gone through difficulties as a church and as a pastor. Those difficulties impact you. They're magnified as a pastor and they can be personal to you. And on those occasions when I felt like perhaps I had nowhere else to turn, when I went to God, I found out that he was enough. I would spend time alone with God, praying, sometimes journaling, sometimes talking to him, just like he were in the room, like a friend or a counselor. I told him how I was feeling. Sometimes it was uncensored. Now, my problems didn't go away immediately. Sometimes my problems got worse. But knowing that God was with me changed everything for me. So what is it for you this holiday season? Is it anxiety, which the holiday season magnifies? Remember that God is for you and with you. Is it loneliness, which this time of year intensifies those feelings? Remember that God is for you and with you. Is it relational conflict, perhaps even in marriage, Maybe it's with a family member, a friend, a coworker. Remember that God is for you and with you. Is it infertility, an addiction, financial issues, stress at work, a health-related issue? Perhaps it's a terminal illness. Have you been thinking lately, I just don't know if I can take any more? This time of year magnifies it, doesn't it? God is with you and for you. Emmanuel. That's what brings us hope this time of year. Now, when I say all that, I'm not saying you should not take other steps. So, for example, getting in a life group where you have some people to pray for you, making an appointment with a counselor, going to celebrate recovery, talking to a friend. God often uses others to help us and let us know that he is with us. But knowing God is with you changes everything. It brings security. Finally, because God is with me, I have hope. When Jesus was born, the announcement was that he was Emmanuel, God with us. Here's what that meant. Jesus came into our world to die. He was born to die, to die for us. Our sin is what keeps us from God. It breaks our relationship with God. But rather than God letting us go on like that because we were separated from him, Our sins had to be paid for. The penalty for our sin is death. So Jesus came, died in our place as our substitute. 
then he came back to life offering us forgiveness of sins, a relationship with him in this life, and the promise that we can spend eternity with him. That's what God with us means. We have hope for the future, hope for what is next, hope for after we die. Matthew 1.21 says it this way, back to the Christmas story, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why when we read the Christmas story in Matthew 1 and it says that a birth was about to occur and that he would be called Emmanuel, for those who were looking for a Savior, which again, we said the prophet had told about 700 years earlier, I'm sure they were thinking, at last. So how do you make this promise, this promise that God is with us real to you? How do you translate God is with us into your life when the reality is you're not feeling it this Christmas season. When you're struggling, I would suggest you do three things. Here's the first. Acknowledge God's presence. In other words, remind yourself of what he has said, that he is with you no matter what. The Bible gives us promise after promise after promise like that. Here's one, another example. This is Psalm 139 verse 5. It says, I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead, and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. Second, visualize God's presence. Here's what I mean by that. In your mind, visualize God being there with you. And there are many ways you can do this to feel His presence, maybe to make it more tangible to you. Let me show you one that I've used before. Uh, perhaps this will work for you, perhaps it won't, but if not, maybe it'll show you um, a little bit about how you can make this more real to you. Sometimes I'll take two chairs and I'll set them down facing each other, just like this, and then I will sit in one of those chairs and I will envision that God is actually sitting in that other chair right across from me. And I'll just carry on a conversation with him aloud, and I'll tell him what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling. Now, I'd recommend you do this when you're by yourself, okay? <laughs> you probably don't want to do this if other people are around or in the room, they're going to start wondering about you. But when you're alone, you can sit there and you can imagine God sitting there and you can talk to him like, just like he's there because it can make him real to you. You can feel his presence in that situation. If something like that doesn't work for you, I'm sure you can come up with another idea. Maybe it's for you taking a walk and just talking when no one else is around, talking aloud, out loud to God and expressing how you feel. There's one other thing you can do to make him real, to feel his presence. It's this, talk to him or talk with him. And honestly, we just call that prayer. Just tell God what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. It's, it's no different than the other relationship you would have with another person. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. Because God is with us in every circumstance and in every situation of life. If we've invited Jesus to be part of our lives. Maybe you're experiencing something difficult this holiday season. God still finds ways to remind us that he is with us.